Hey, welcome to the Smart, Fabulous and Single podcast. I'm your host, Trisha Ann. Today, I'm speaking with our expert about this week's topic. It's practical, it hits all the hard places and offers tips and solutions to help us move to the next level. So stick around for today's episode. And if you have any questions for our expert, email me at pod at sfswoman.com. Ladies, welcome back to the discussion with Dr. Thomas Licona on the topic 10 Emotional Dangers of Premature Sexual Involvement. In part one of this interview, Dr. Licona discussed the first five emotional dangers. And so in this particular episode, part two, we'll continue the discussion to do dangers number six through 10. Fear of commitment is, is a sixth emotional consequence. Um, once you're burned, you don't want to be burned again. You know, if a girl gives sex to a guy and then the guy drops her, you know, she may lose the ability to trust guys and may feel that she doesn't want to become involved, uh, doesn't, doesn't trust people. It can go the other way. A guy can, you know, get involved with a girl and then she drops him and, and he doesn't want to get involved. Uh, one guy said, uh, he, he just had one sexual relationship with his girlfriend when he was 15. But after that, he said it was the most painful part of his life. And in college, he said, I've had mostly one night stands. I'm afraid of falling in love. We don't want to have that kind of fear of falling in love, that kind of fear of trust. So that's a sixth, the fear of commitment, the loss of trust. Depression and even suicide, still, still another. Uh, research has shown that the more sexual partners you have, the more likely it is that you experience depression. Um, in, in college, that the number of sexual partners often increases. And in the early 20s, uh, you know, with you know, a lot of these uh, hookup apps and so on, people can quickly be involved with multiple sexual partners. And the research is telling us that the more that you do that, the more likely it is that you will experience depression. There was a study done by the medical journal Pediatrics um, that found that for teenage girls, those who were sexually involved between 12 and 16, they were six times more likely to attempt suicide than young women who were virgins. Later research showed that guys also were subject to the depression that can follow as a consequence of sexual involvement. Fringe with benefits became a popular trend, um, especially first among college students and later uh, even in high school, where you have this friendship and sexual involvement is considered to be just sort of one of the benefits. But I'm friends with a, a psychiatrist by the name of Miriam Grossman, and she wrote a, a book um, which was titled um, Unprotected. And it was really an expose of the college culture from the standpoint of a psychiatrist who worked in that culture. And she said, uh, for more than 10 years, hardly a day went by without meeting a young woman who was in crisis. And it almost always involved sexual activity and very frequently involved as friends with benefits pattern where um, the young woman was giving the guy the quotes benefits and the guy was treating her in the most um, casual sort of way. Like here's one young woman said, I, you know, I'd like to spend more time with them. Maybe do stuff like, go shopping, see a movie, that would make it a real friendship. But he says, no, then we'd have a relationship and, and that's more than he wants. It seems like I don't get the friend part, he gets the benefits. It's hard for me to be with him and then go home and be alone. And what, as a psychiatrist, she tried to help these young women seeing that, see that they were, they were being made the fool. They were, the guy was totally playing with them. He was totally using them. And no wonder that they were depressed. They didn't, you know, they were lying to themselves that this is something that, that they could get happiness from. And so, you know, they were experiencing the, uh, the depression that came from that. So, and then, I, you know, my own hunch is that we saw the statistic on, on um, suicide att attempts being higher for teens involved sexually. Uh, we also know that the suicide rate is going up globally. 
um, in, in the United States, uh, middle school girl suicide reached a 40-year high in 2017. So these are frightening statistics. And I think frequently uh, sexual involvement is part of that picture. And the, the rupture is extremely painful. We've been intimate in a way that is designed to be part of a larger intimacy, a larger union of lives, and we've taken it out of that context, and so we, we end up paying an emotional cost. Uh, an, eighth, an eighth consequence is, is uh, ruined relationships. Some people think sex will make the relationship better, but often just the opposite happens, that other aspects of the relationship stop developing. Here's a college woman uh, looking back on, she says, I lost my virginity when I was 15. My boyfriend and I thought we loved each other, but once we started having sex, it completely destroyed any love that there was. I felt he was no longer interested in spending time with me. He was interested in spending time in my body. Uh, here's um, uh, a young woman age 24. She says, sex became the absolute center of relationship, like a cancer, it took over. New things entered, anger, impatience, jealousy, selfishness. We couldn't talk anymore. We grew very bored with each other. So instead of enhancing the relationship, it can consume it, destroy other dimensions, and and uh, and, and often end the relationship. So that's, that's damaged or ruined relationships. A ninth is stunted development. This is especially important, I think, for young women. Here's a psychiatrist. He says, a girl enters a serious relationship with a boy early in life. They find out later that her individuality was thwarted. She became part of him. She failed to develop her own interest, her sense of an independent identity. I think probably young women are more at risk for that than, than guys. You know, they, they, they get just absorbed into the guy. Uh, the guy, you know, may, he may have um, lots else going on in his life, lots of male friendships. You know, she's preoccupied with him. She never really develops her independent identity, her own sense of self. And then the 10th dimension, which in some ways, you know, is the most important one to think about, especially if you would like to be happily married someday. And when I, do, when I talk to young people, whether it's uh, college audiences or teenagers in high school, I say, how many of you would like to be happily married? You have a dream of finding Mr. Wright or Ms. Wright, you know, the right person, spending your life with them. And the hands go up all over the room. A majority do. Even though we've seen a lot of divorce, even though we've seen a lot of pain and broken relationships, this dream still is part of what you know keeps us on pursuing happiness as a life goal. You know, we dream of finding that right person and of, of having that lasting, authentic happiness in a marriage relationship. And I ask how many of you would like to have children someday, and the hands go up again. And research by UCLA has shown that actually 75% of students, and this finding has not changed in 40 years of doing the survey with college students, have the dream of getting married and having children. So then the question comes, if you start getting sexually involved before you're married, are you putting your dream in jeopardy? Are, are you risking all that? And there are at least four kinds of negative consequences that can come from premarital intimacy. One is simply comparisons or flashbacks. You're involved with, this, with uh, your, your marriage partner now, and you would like that relationship to be free of, of memories. But people go to sexual therapists because they have actual visual flashbacks of a previous partner. They can't get it out of their mind. One man said, I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the world, but uh, it's killing our sexual intimacy because pictures of previous women come into my mind. Uh, one guy said that I think of, you know, previous partners and make comparisons. This girl could do that better. You know, this girl could do that. She kissed better. And he said, I don't want to have these comparisons. And yet, you know, they're there in my, in my memory. Uh, so both men and women can experience these sexual flashbacks or these comparisons that disrupt marital sexual intimacy. Uh, infidelity is another consequence. Um, there's been research showing that that marital cheating has increased as a result of the sexual revolution. And if you engage in premarital sex, then you're not learning to resist temptation. And you will, <clears throat> you will experience sexual temptation after marriage. You know, you'll, uh, you'll see somebody who's, who's physically attractive and you, you know, 
there might be a temptation there, especially let's say in a working relationship, you're in the office and you have to have the strength, the habit to resist that kind of temptation. And unfortunately, if you haven't practiced that before marriage, you're going to have more, more of a challenge after. Infertility, um, mentioned that before, it's something that can come. And here's a woman who said that sometime during my wild college days, I picked up an infection that damaged my fallopian tubes and left me infertile, unable to have a baby. I'm now married to a wonderful guy. He very much wants children. And the guilt I feel is overwhelming because they're not able to conceive because her fallopian tubes were damaged by chlamydia, which causes um, pelvic inflammatory disease. If you get one case of that, you have a 25% chance of being unable to have a baby. Two, two infections, 50% chance. Three infections, 75% chance of being infertile. So that's still another consequence. And then finally, uh, a greater chance of divorce. And now even, even liberal publications, New York Times read an article about you know, cohabitation as being a danger to the stability of marriage because you people... You know, that you're in a cohabiting relationship, you're not really committed, and, and, and you can just sort of slide into getting married because your friends are getting married, but the marriage commitment isn't a real commitment either, and so when things get bumpy in marriage, you have arguments, you find out you have some value differences, um, you, you turn to divorce. So, you know, cohabitation is, is a great danger, and, and the research shows the more living cohabiting partners you have, the greater the chance of marriage breakup. And those studies have been replicated across cultures. There was a book called The Pursuit of Happiness uh, by a psychologist who drew on studies from seven different societies. Everyone the same finding, cohabitation before, greater likelihood of divorce after marriage. So, um, you know, a big you know, red light slashing on that. You know, here's, here's a quote from um, a couple that my wife and I were friends with who, who counseled engaged couples who are living together. They, they had a sexual relationship going, they planned to get married, they set the date for weddings and all the rest. But my friends, John and Kathy Colgan, who were counseling them, this is in a Catholic context, so these are people who ostensibly were raised in a Christian environment but hadn't absorbed the teaching on this. And Kathy Colgan said, we see many engaged couples living together. They have not discussed their deepest values and their goals. And we see, when we suggest that they not live or sleep together, that they try to become friends and get to know each other and be able to really, you know, talk about some of these deeper issues. You know, how do you feel about children? And, and so what about uh, um, sex and marriage? You know, does one person believe in birth control and another person want to practice natural family planning? And, you know, what are the values there? And, the, and so they urge them to find out if they really are compatible, if there's a good foundation for marriage. And they often resist saying, well, we're, we're involved now, we can't, you know, we can't go back to not having sex. And my friends who are counseling say, we see this as a marriage likely to fail. And time after time, it does, because they haven't gotten to know each other at a deep level. So these are 10 emotional dangers, and often not discussed nearly enough. The research is beginning to accumulate, and actually some of the early studies, going back to that Harvard study, have been around for decades. But it's certainly a dimension of sexuality that needs to be on, on the screen and to realize the, the great emotional dangers that exist from engaging in this profound form of intimacy outside of, of the marriage relationship. The way I like to, to put it in speaking to, to young audiences is that we, we should save the ultimate intimacy for the ultimate commitment. We should join our bodies when we've joined our lives. That's very profound and, and exactly what God had intended, you know, that we wait, um, wait until we meet that person that we're going to make that covenantal um, relationship with, form that covenantal relationship with. Thank you so much for sharing those 10 dangers. Uh, I just had a few questions. I mean, sure. all, the, the reality is, Dr. Likona, that if we had all the time in the world, I think I would have maybe a thousand questions to ask because every single thing that you said was so important. Everything, single um, anecdotal or, or, or empirical evidence that you shared, meaning whether it was a story or something um, 
for lack of a better word, proven by research, every single thing that you shared hit, hit a nerve, hit a nail on the head kind of situation. And so we really could deep dive into this. But um, I just wanted to kind of pick at two things before I ask the ultimate question. The first thing is, how does porn affect marriage and family? I remember you saying that, um, you know, if, if we um, do porn, which I find is an issue, yes, heavily for men, but there are women. I remember when I used to have a problem with porn and I've heard other women who are, who are now Christians and also now, um, you know, trying to, to be transformed by, by God. I've heard them say that they had a problem with it. And um, I'm not sure that we know how it affects marriage and family and how to get over it. You know what I mean? Are there any pointers that you can give us where that is concerned? Well, in terms of how to, how to break out of it, there are lots of resources that are available um, for different people. Different things have been successful. Some are able to just quit um, you know, cold turkey. They can you know, turn it off, walk away, and so on. Other people have needed the help of a therapist or, or a counselor, um, especially somebody who specializes in helping people to break free of, of pornography. Um, some people have needed a 12-step support group. Uh, I interviewed a guy, for example, who said, um, I didn't have a pornography addiction when I went into the army, but I came out with one. And, you know, he was a practicing uh, Catholic. He, you know, he felt uh, guilty about it. And, and he came home from the army and he said, it nearly wrecked my marriage. He said, I tried to stop, but I couldn't. I tried to pray my way out of it, but I couldn't. He said, I had to seek out a 12-step group that dealt, that dealt with people who were addicted to pornography. So there are those groups that exist. There's uh, something that's called Sex Addicts Anonymous that is based on the 12 steps that were originally developed for Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I've recommended the work of a psychotherapist named Peter Kloponis, K-L-E-P-O-N-I-S, Kloponis, he wrote a book called Integrity Starts Here, which is a pornography recovery program that lays out, lays out seven, seven parts that he believes are all important. Self-knowledge is one. Support and accountability is another. Uh, he believes some counseling is important. A spiritual plan that includes daily prayer. Stress management. Some people give in to pornography temptation when they're under stress some out of loneliness and so on. Um, education about what a healthy relationship is and daily virtue exercises that build character strengths like self-respect and self-control and respect for persons that help to keep people from slipping back. And um, there are apps out there now. There's one, covenanteyes.com, covenanteyes.com, which is an app that you, that you use with a an accountability buddy, you get a you get an accountability partner, and such that when you slip, if you go on a pornography website, your your accountability buddy knows it. So you you know it's no longer a private thing that you can do in secret, which is often the form that this takes. But, but you're accountable to somebody else who's going to help you stay on the straight and narrow. Um, there are good websites. Fight the new drug for example, uh, .org, um, pornkillslove.com, uh, I think. Those are two websites developed initially by, by um, college-age students who had struggled with pornography and wanted to break free of it. And they, they started to look at some of the research and they started to figure out strategies. They also have an app that you can uh, purchase from their website that helps you keep track of your progress, uh, your slips, uh, helps you to, to break out of the pattern. And then a lot of great stories out there also now that, that you can get access to through these different websites, people who were addicted for years, uh, their marriages were suffering, they, they got help, they broke free. I'm fr I, I know a person who's a Harvard psychiatrist, I, I, and he's got a website 
called overcomingcravings.com. It has seven modules that explain the nature of addictions, including pornography addiction, and how to overcome them by strengthening virtues such as reframing, patience, mindfulness, self-control, and so on. Um, the latest psychological research informing it, and it's free. Um, these modules can be uh, downloaded from his website, overcomingcravings.com. Uh, his name is Dr. Kevin Majors, psychiatrist at Harvard Medical School. So there are a lot of resources out there. What works for one person might not work for somebody else. Um, if you you know if you really want help in, in breaking out of this uh, this addiction, this problem, there you know, there are ways that you can find to do that if you have the determination. And I, and I do believe that remaining chaste, whether it's free from porn or free from uh, sex outside marriage. Um, should be part of a, a larger relationship with God. And I know you've done with the spiritual dimension in another show, but I just, just to reaffirm that, um, there is something that Mother Teresa said once. She said, purity is the fruit of prayer. Mother Teresa had a genius for simple sayings, and that was one of them. Purity is the fruit of prayer. And if we ask God for the help, you know, he'll give it to us. And we may need help from human beings. God works through people, so you may need a 12-step group as well as prayer. Uh, but one way or another, God will help us if we if we seek that help. So thanks for asking about that because it is a growing problem in the culture, and its effects sometimes have been subtle and surprising. Um, for example, let me just share one study that was done on pornography before internet porn came along, and of course, internet has made it you know a hundred times worse because what is shown in the internet is often uh, horrible abuse of women, humiliation of women, you know, gang rape of, of a woman, uh, you know, 10, 12 partners. I mean, all the, you know, just huge debasement of the dignity of the woman as a human being. And the women, of course, are actors. They are being paid to pretend that they enjoy this humiliation and this physical and emotional abuse. Then they go into the, you know, to a private room afterwards and break down and sob. Some of them are single moms who are doing this to put food on the table. It's a horrible industry. And they shuttle people back and forth between prostitution and pornography. You know, it's, it's really a, a, an extreme exploitation. It's a social justice issue. We should all see it in that way. But here's a study that was carried out in the 1980s, before internet pornography came along. And the uh, study was done with college-age um, um, men and women and with also people from the community of that age, in that age demographic. And the study itself was controversial because it exposed people to something that turned out to be harmful. So it's ethically controversial whenever you do a study that, that harms the individual and the person doesn't know ahead of time what harm will come. But um, the findings are important because it does show a cause and effect relationship. These were two psychologists who uh, had a control group randomly assigned to the control condition and, and and they um, they had the the control group view innocuous material content that had nothing to do with sex, and the experimental group viewed uh, pictures of pornographic pictures over a period of six weeks, and then they compared them. They did a pretest uh, survey of values and attitudes, and they did the same test after the six weeks period was over. And they found that people who had viewed the pornography were more likely to consider rape less of a crime, were more likely to believe promiscuity is normal, were more accepting of sexual infidelity, valued marriage less, and expressed less desire to have children. The researchers did not expect those, those attitudinal changes to come from viewing porn, you know, less interest in getting married, less interest in having kids, and yet the significant findings were there. So, and, and because there was a control group, you can attribute the changes causally to the experimental exposure. So there was a cause and effect relationship that you could assert. There's also been a lot of correlational research done where you ask people, you know, what kind of porn do you watch? Uh, how much do you consume it? And then you, you, um, you look at other measures and you see the correlational. And you can't assert cause and effect from that kind of research, 
But when you combine it with the experimental study I just mentioned, and then when you look at the pattern of correlational studies, and you see that these are global trends, you can begin to conclude with some reasonable degree of probability that you're looking at causality. And the, the, there was a meta-analysis of, of dozens of studies from China, the Netherlands, United Kingdom, the United States, and it was published in 2012 in the journal Sexual Addiction and Compulsivity. And they found out the more the teenagers watched porn, the more likely they were to engage in high-risk sexual behaviors, such as anal sex, sex with multiple partners, sexual use of drugs. Uh, the more teenagers um, watched pornography that, that depicted violence, the more likely they were to become aggressive in their own sexual behavior. And the more teens consumed porn, this is true for boys, the more likely they were to agree that it was okay to hold a girl down and force her to have sex. So, you know, the, the correlational studies should also be taken seriously that pornography is, is, is contributing to both changes in sexual attitude, changes in sexual behavior. It's a cultural poison, really, that we don't want to let into our systems and that we want to break free from if we've made the mistake of letting that in. Again, it's always possible to make a new beginning um, once we decide to do that, and, and especially if we ask for God's grace and help. But, you know, it's interesting, Dr. Likona, because what you're saying then is aggression in marriage, um, um, whether it is physical, sexual, emotional um, aggression slash abuse, um, and outside of marriage, in marriage and outside of marriage, and, and, and even in marriage and outside of marriage, how we treat children could also be as a result of porn addiction, the exposure to porn. Yeah, especially when you consider what is the nature of pornography, it does not treat people as human beings. You know, it's, it's, it depersonalizes and dehumanizes. And so what, and obviously there's, there's no empathy for the person who's, who's the object of abuse on the screen. And, and that, it's like any sort of exposure, you know, we become what we watch. There are studies, for example, preceding this kind of research on pornography that looked at thousands of studies on watching violence. And the more of that you watch, the more desensitized you become to it. And kids would say, well, I've, I've seen so many murders on television. If I saw somebody really getting killed, it would be no big deal. Your, your, your body, your brain actually has a reduced capacity to respond to the real event. So it's easier to be physically abusive or emotionally abusive because you're not, you're no longer, you no longer have the same sensitivity to the person as a person, the same ability to enter empathically into their heart and mind, to feel what they're feeling because you, you've seen people treated as objects in the way which is thoroughly dehumanizing. So it has these subtle far-reaching effects that um, most of us, I think, are not aware of until we begin to look at some of what the research is, is showing. Well, thanks for that. Uh, another question that I had. Uh, just, be... just to mention something in connection with women in this. Yes. Um, <clears throat> some of the research has also shown that women don't sometimes don't start with the visual stuff. At least this was true. So, for example, Fifty Shades of Grey, which was a enormous bestseller, the trilogy, which people described as soft porn because it depicted a sadistic, sadomasochistic relationship. And um, for, for some women, that is the entry point. They begin with literature, not necessarily with video, but then they become addicted to that kind of um, sexual stimulation and turn to video pornography as well. So you, you might think you're safe by reading you know, pornographic novels and the like, but that can also be a very seductive path to to, to dangerous results. Thank you. Um, one of the other questions that I had, Dr. Licono, surrounded the comment you made about comparisons, where you, out of premarital sex, now you are in marriage and you start to compare and this is something that I, I experienced when I got married. I'm now divorced, 
but when I was married, in the beginning, it was hard for me to um, not see images of someone that I had dated and um, enjoyed sexually, but also enjoyed emotionally. And because I enjoyed um, this person, I think the emphasis for me then was emotionally. I would see images, there were memories, you know, images of the person, conversations, you know. Thank goodness I didn't call his name when I was with my husband, ex-husband now. But it's, I, I can certainly relate to what you said. It is very real. I went through a whole process of, um, with, the, with, with God. I went through an entire process. And so a part of that helped me to heal, to be able to not, um, you know, have to deal with all of that. But what do we say to, to, to women that are listening in and who will listen in in the future about comparisons? How do we stop these comparisons? Well, I, I cannot speak from experience as a sex um, therapist, as somebody who helps with these problems. So I'm, my recommendation would be to find someone who is qualified. Uh, you can go on Psychology Today, and they have um, a directory where you can search out various kinds of therapists for all kinds of problems in in all geographical regions, you know, and so it's, and then they give you a, a, a paragraph that the individual therapist writes about their philosophy, their, their approach to, let's say, faith matters, spiritual dimensions. Uh, so, you, you know, if you're looking for a Christian counselor, you can find one and so on. So that, I mean, trying to search out a good therapist, somebody who is, I know that there are people out there. We had a, a speaker, uh, Dr. Dick Purnell, P-U-R-N-E-L-L, who came to our campus somewhere around 1985. He was a Christian psychologist, and he did Christian counseling of people who were dealing with various kinds of emotional problems resulting from sexual relationships. I don't know if he had experience in dealing with flashbacks and, and other kinds of comparisons as part of his practice but my hunch is that that there are christian counselors out there who would be able to be helpful there may even be clinics now that specialize in this if you were to turn to a group like um you know sex addicts anonymous you probably could find somebody who could recommend somebody and so on you would get leads that could point you toward people who have specialized in these various kinds of disruptive things within marriage so there's, there surely is professional help for, uh, out there. Thanks for, thanks for that. All right. So the big question then, and this is really my final question, simply because it's such a big question. <laughs> so you've laid out the 10 emotional dangers of premarital sexual involvement. Um, but the reality is some of us have been there and have done it and have not dealt with it, Right. We've already gone ahead and had premarital sex. We've already gone ahead and, 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 and engaged in it and begun to experience the emotional dangers. How do we, how would you recommend that we heal? If, is there anything at all that you can suggest to us in terms of whether it is um, completing the healing process or even just be starting it, you know, that emotional healing process? Well, if you if you are a Catholic, um, the sacrament of confession would be a good first step. Um, people who emerge from that sacrament, um, they say they feel a great burden lifted from them. Um, the priest is absolved them of their sins, again, serving as the channel of Christ's healing power. Um, but, you know, you also can approach God directly at any point for forgiveness and for the strength to practice chaste living, to to find a new path. Now there are, you know, there are programs out there that have been helpful to young people. Um, I know that they've been used in many s schools at the high school level. Um, AC Green, for example, has a curriculum called Game Plan, 
And he says, you need a game plan for staying chase. You need a game plan for get, getting, getting back on your game if you've fallen, if you if you slip. And he uses lots of sports metaphors, which uh, I think are very appealing, um, both males and females. He was a famous basketball player for the Los Angeles Lakers for many years. And he was probably the most famous public virgin in the United States, certainly among men, because he was totally open about his virginity as an NBA basketball star. And he said he took a lot of taunting and teasing from other players who tried to, um, to you know, push him. You know, they were having women all the time, and there was a whole culture of, of, of sexual promiscuity, and sometimes uh, women would be waiting at the exits, you know, for the stars when they finished their game. AC Green said sometimes he would be in his hotel room and the phone would ring and it was some woman saying, you know, I could come upstairs, just tell me your room number. And, and um, he just said, you know, the hand that picks up the phone can put the phone back down. And he just has a lot of great strategies. So that's, you know, but I think his metaphor of a game plan is a good one. You need a game plan. First of all, find somebody else who is making a similar commitment. So you're not doing it alone. You know, somebody else maybe who's who's you know been involved sexually, but is you know want, wants to head down a different road, so that you've got uh, at least one person who's your spiritual partner in walking that path. Uh, that's a very important source of support. So that comes to my having the game plan, I'm trying to th to think also of some of the some of the organizations that, you know, good reading is also very important because you, you know, you can read a lot of people about a lot of people's experiences. Um, there's a book, for example, by Dawn Eden, E-D-E-N, called The Thrill of the Chase, C-H-A-S-T-E, Finding Fulfillment While Keeping Your Clothes On. Now, she wrote that book when she was about 30, and she lived the sex in the city lifestyle as a young woman in New York City. And then she had a religious conversion. She, she became a practicing Catholic. She grew up in a family that I think she had a, one parent was Catholic, the other parent was Jewish. And then, but she fell away from religious faith altogether. And then she got involved in the, you know, the big city lifestyle. But she ends up you know, writing about her life story and how she found her way back. Um, there's a book called how to Find Your Soulmate Without Losing Your Soul by a married couple, Jason and Kristalina Evert, E-V-E-R-T. Um, How to Find Your Soulmate Without Losing Your Soul. There's a book by um, an Australian guy who's got a great sense of humor. I've heard him and his wife speak. They're now in their early 30s, I think. Um, he wrote a book called How to Get the Man of Your Dreams. And it's a great, great guide to... Um, that there's a book by um, a guy named Steve Wood called The ABCs of Finding a Great Husband. He's a Catholic guy who had six daughters, and he wrote the book partly because he had those six girls. And it's The ABCs of Finding a Guy Who Will Make a Great Husband. Steve Wood is his name, The ABCs of Finding a Great Husband. Um, Wendy Shalit, S H A L I T, wrote something called The Good Girl Revolution. Um, She's a Jewish young woman. She's probably now at least 30. And, you know, she's written about this a new subculture that's developing of people who don't want to live this kind of, uh, um, you know, sexual revolution lifestyle, but who want to live chastely and save sex for the marriage relationship. Um, there are some good websites. These are some, I sent you actually a special edition, Trisha uh, Ann of our center's publication that has some of these websites on page six, things like greattowait.com, relationships101.org, um, chastityproject.com. Um, you know, these are websites that offer lots of tips, including how to, you know, how to start over if you've been sexually involved. Because in today's culture, you know, so many young people, because of the, what the culture 
pushes at us, you know, through the media, through TV, through movies, through now through the internet, you know, we're, we're just um, led to believe that, hey, this is just part of being a human being. You can just uh, enjoy this like having a good meal. So, you know, it's no more serious than, than a McDonald's Big Mac. And, and so well, we shouldn't beat ourselves up if we've been, in a sense, victims of that culture. At the same time, we should take responsibility always for mistakes and then responsibility for, for correcting our mistakes. But the truth is, it's a tough world to grow up in. When we start, my wife and I, we got to the point where we started talking to young audiences we would always begin by saying, um, all of you belong to one of four groups. You haven't had sex, you haven't been sexually intimate, you don't intend to be so until you're married. Or you haven't been sexually intimate, but you're not sure about waiting for marriage. Or you have been sexually intimate, and you consider that a mistake. Or you have been sexually intimate, and you're not sure about your future. So a lot of you out there will fall into those last two categories. You've been sexually intimate, um, for, and maybe you're you're sure of a change you want to make, or you're not sure about it. But you know, we're not assuming that you've never been sexually involved. Many of you have been. So we recognize that right away, and we learned that the hard way because when we started giving these talks, you know, we would start out by making the case for waiting, and once we had a young woman immediately, you know, get up from her chair or cover her face with her hands and run out of the room. And we knew then that, you know, she, we had touched a nerve. She had been sexually involved and we needed to recognize that. We needed to offer hope. We needed to say, and then if you're in a category where you've been sexually involved, maybe you think it's a mistake, you're not sure. We say, we, we ask you to listen with an open heart and an open mind because we care about your happiness. We're gonna share what we feel is the truth. We know that young people want the truth about everything. They want, certainly want the truth about this area of their lives. We don't think the media is telling you the truth. We don't think the government is telling you the truth. We don't think a lot of your teachers are telling you the truth when they say, just put on a condom, you know, uh, and act as if that's the only, you know, only thing you need to worry about. So, um, so there are a lot of resources out there, but, but um, you know, having a game plan, you make a commitment, you find friends that will support you, you tell other people that you date about it, that's really big. I mean, I remember one one young woman who said, you know, um, when I get in the car with a guy, when I'm day, I say, by the way, I just want you to know I'm saving sex for my husband. And she said, you know, I laugh. Sometimes the guy laughs, but it's out there, you know, right from the get-go. It takes all the pressure off, you know. <laughs> you know, and, and, and the other thing is to add to that, and by the way, for me, saving sex, for my, for my, that means saving all of it. So it's no messing around. And sometimes, you know, people like this one Christian radio station, a young woman called in. She said, I'm, I'm 18. My boyfriend and I are, you know, we both leave it waiting for marriage, but we're messing around a lot and we're going farther with every date. Um, um, but we don't hear people talking about very, that very much. You know, we know we're, we're supposed to save intercourse for marriage, but what about all that other fooling around? And so what we need to be very clear about is, you know, how, how far is too far in that saving sex for marriage means saving all forms of intimacy, including, you know, you know, passionate kissing. All that should belong to the person in that marriage relationship. And one, one speaker had a good way of making this clear. She said, suppose you're married, okay, you got a good marriage. So you come home one night, you walk into your apartment and your wife's on the couch with your neighbor down the hall and uh and they both sit up and say don't worry we're not going to go all the way <laughs> you say well wait a minute you know i don't care about it whether you go. i mean you know i don't want you even looking at another guy at, you know much less you know so in other words you want that all that to be saved well all that to be saved and um and i think of a story from a young woman after i gave a talk to some college women and young men and she came up and she said you know I'm in love with this guy. We think we maybe this is the real deal. And we're going to get married. And the other night we started kissing. Pretty soon it got hot and heavy. And I and I just I said, "Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't right." She said, "This is this is for my husband." You know. So she she had the sense. You know, they'd crossed the line. You know. So you got to be really clear, and it's much better to draw that line conservatively, 
and as opposed to saying, well, you know, we can handle, you know, some pretty heavy kissing. And that's, that's first of all, in a sense, stealing from your future spouse, what really belongs to them, but it's also playing with fire. And, you know, there's a high school counselor who had a good quip about this. who said, if you don't want to drive over the edge of a cliff, don't pull up to the edge and race the engine. <laughs> you don't want to go over that cliff. Don't go up to the edge and race the engine. Oh, that's very instructive. Yeah. Very funny, yeah. but yeah. very real. Very, yeah, very, very real. real. Very real. So, you know, and there's in that article that I wrote that you mentioned earlier on, Tricia, and there are some very specific kinds of things, you know, you're going too far when either person's hands start roaming or you're starting to remove clothing or you're doing something you would be doing in the presence of somebody you really respect, uh, or if, you know, Jesus were there, which he is, <laughs> um, or the, any, you're doing anything that's going to reduce your self-control and your ability to make a, the right decision, have a clear head and so on. And that means all kinds of practical things. College students, for example, don't go in the college room, sit on the bed and close the door. I mean, you're asking for trouble right there. You know, you don't put yourselves in those temptations. We interviewed college students on our campus when my wife and I were writing our book, how are you leading chase lives? And they say things, well, first of all, we don't spend time alone. Or if we're going to be alone, maybe, you know, we go to a movie while we're in a theater or we go out to a restaurant while we're with other people, but we don't put ourselves in a situation where we're going to be faced with temptation. You know, we have strong feelings. You know, we just don't want to put ourselves in a parked car or, you know, in somebody's house when there's nobody around. Those, those situations are too tempting. So, you, you know, you behave in these very prudent ways. Um, the Greeks, when they talked about the cardinal virtues, they, Aristotle said the first one is, is practical wisdom. Practical wisdom. You, know, you, you make smart decisions. When it comes to sex, you've really got to use, use wisdom as your best friend. You don't put yourself in the path of temptation. That's, that's so true. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is too often we put ourselves in that situation and then after the fact, we don't even recognize that that is what triggered it in, in the first place. It's not the emotion. It's the fact that we even put ourselves in the situation and then the emotion is added onto it and then everything goes awry. Yeah. And, right. and, and because we don't recognize that that's the starting point, you know, just being in a particular situation, that's not a protected, safe kind of situation. We constantly do it. It continues. Even when, when you're lying in your bed, if, you're, if you are lying in your bed and you there, there's something that's going to trigger it, then you need to change it. And I'm telling myself that too, because, you know, just recently I found, found myself in that situation. I had to jump up out of bed. I had to jump uh, up, start listening to some gospel music, um, reach out to a friend, um, start praying really hard, <laughs> you know? And, 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 and if I back up, it is the image that I saw on the TV that triggered it for me. Right. So therefore it means that I may need to quickly change the television station or not watch that station or that show or whatever it is, not listen to certain types of music, whatever the situation is for you. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's so easy. There, there, there are so many stories of, you know, a pregnancy coming out of a couple going and seeing a sexy movie, uh, having a couple beers. And I mean, the combination of the, exposure to that stimulation and then a little alcohol that reduces your inhibitions pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to discuss with me the 10 emotional dangers. And of course, we're going to discuss more and the resources are on the website, sfswoman.com. And uh, Dr. Likona has shared some additional resources. You'll get the link to his website. I mean, you know, it's just fantastic, all of the resources that he's shared. Um, I think for me, the, the big takeaway with this very loaded, and when I say loaded, I mean just chocked full of goodness, um, information, transformational content. The, the, the thing for me that's the big takeaway that you mentioned, Dr. Likona, is um, there's always a point of turnaround. There's always a way to, to recover from, to stop and recover from 
And of course, that includes the Holy Spirit. That includes our relationship with God and just reaching out to him. And if the woman that's listening is not a Christian, okay, fine, you may not believe in God, but the reality is he will hear your prayer anyway. You know what I mean? Just yeah, reach out to said, him. Yeah. Somebody said, you may not believe in God, but God believes in you. Uh, hallelujah. <laughs> that is so true. I mean, that is so real. Listen, ladies, listen. God believes in you. He created you, which means he must believe in you, right? Until you die, he is waiting on you. And the reality is this idea of not leaving us nor forsaking us, um, it's, it's real for every single person. So reach out to him, Christian or not, reach out to him. I mean, this program is about Christian living, but the reality is if you are not yet a Christian, you can still apply the principles because um, the word of God says that the, it rains on the just and unjust. I can't quite remember the verse right now, but essentially what it means is that um, what God has for, for, his, for his people, Christians, he also has for for persons who are not Christians, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll get it at full capacity or that you'll get everything, <laughs> but he certainly does consider you and he loves you just the same, right? So please apply the principles because the principles matter. They are significant and that's what's going to change your life. Dr. Likona, thank you so much for joining me to speak about these 10 emotional dangers. I mean, it was just fascinating listening to you, all the different stories, the sur the, the the, the survey results, you know, the insights and just the realness of it. I think lives are going to be changed because I've already started to, to, to evaluate, you know, is there anything else that I need to look at, you know, based on my old self, you know, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Is there anything well, else you want to say? On well, uh, I just wanted to thank you again, Trisha, and for, for focusing toward the end on, making a fresh start, a new beginning. There's a saying, we can't change the past, but we can choose the future. And that's something that everybody, um, regardless of their religious beliefs, um, whether they have faith or no faith, we all have free will. And that's something that we need to believe in. We have the power to choose a different path in the future and to make a better life for ourselves. Thank you for listening to Smart, Fabulous, and Single. If you loved it, please download, subscribe, rate, and share it. Then head over to our website at www.sfswoman.com to access show notes and other fantastic bonus content and resources, and to sign up as a guest. You can also sign up to continue the conversation in our Facebook group. If you want to share topic ideas, email me at pod at sfswoman.com. Okay, so thanks again and don't forget to join me for new episodes Mondays to Fridays. You can also connect with me on FB and IG at Smart, Fabulous and Single. And remember, what you have on the inside of you is far greater than your circumstances, weaknesses and fears. So you already have everything you need to live life successfully. Mm -hmm.